Welcome to episode six of the Big Man Beard podcast. Hi, and welcome to episode six of the Big Man Beard podcast. There's myself. There's me, Lucy. And we're absolutely delighted to have the wonderful Vanessa J on our podcast today. This lady is an ambassador for the Hibs Lupus Trust. She is a mixologist and she is a student of psychology and neuroscience. Neuroscience, how do you know you say that? Neuroscience. That's correct. Vanessa, how are you? I'm not too bad, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, Really excited to talk to you. Firstly, I understand you're doing a master's in psychology and neuroscience. Wow, that sounds tough. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. And um, yes, basically, I'm a I'm a nerd. So. Oh, no, that's brilliant. brilliant. Someone's got to do it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Taking one for the team. And also a mixologist. Yes. Yeah. I um I can't draw to be perfectly honest with you. Um all of the creative talent, typical creative talent in my family went to my sister who was a classic lens photography person and and all of the the art talent and I am the one who pretty much just gets people tastefully intoxicated if they want to. So <laughs> I think that could possibly be one of the most important jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so psychology and neuroscience, where, where did, where's the desire? Was there a, a, a reason to go into that field? Um, well, my, my bachelor's is in psychology. And I think that my interest in it traced back to probably I mean, I was always that kid. I think my first word I ever said as a child was why. And it got (laughs) (laughs) And it's a really good interlude into um, psychology because the question is always why. Um, Yeah. And basically, to put a long story short, when I was about 15, I experienced a few traumatic events and that triggered... um, my diagnosis of systemic lupus, which is why I like to partner up with the Hibs Lupus Trust. I'm an ambassador for them. I try and help them in any way I can, usually fundraising and me being silly on social media. Um, I mean, I just think that's, that's brilliant. That's, that's like, well, is that something that you've done for a long time? Well, I, it feels like a long I suppose it's actually, we'll see approaching 30 so it's been a, about seven seven-ish years I think that's brilliant that's yeah so, good. so what is lupus oh it's basically an, an autoimmune disease um for for example what happened with me was um they couldn't really figure out why my white blood cell count was low and long story short my um the cells in our body that that typically defend us against you know, cold flu potentially coronavirus um essentially started to attack my organs um oh, yeah so it's it was it it was quite a surprise to be honest with you as a very athletic child um to mm. have these, these these things happen and it presents differently for each person so for me i had suddenly rheumatoid arthritis kind of symptoms appear and i was a very active child so that that definitely took me it confused me having a kind of a new limitation in my life. Yeah. 
And um, and then the, the diagnosis usually takes time. People often get misdiagnosed because it's still not well understood. Um, but um, I was essentially diagnosed just after I turned 15. And then after that, that's kind of what got me more into psychology because I had to, my, my doctor essentially said, you've been through these traumas, you've got this big diagnosis, we want you to start talking to someone. Yeah. So yeah that's pretty oh, much wow. when I started <laughs> with the good old NHS so that's really interesting yeah. but did opening up and talking help I think it's difficult during the the teenage years to say definitively yes or no I think it helped me manage but I think that it it was the first insight I had into the fact that sometimes individual um, and it was cognitive behavioural therapy, which is just a fancy way of, of pretty much saying that we sat and we talked about my feelings and we, we challenged them and I understood where they came from, but it didn't really mm. help me feel better. Um, and these were issues mm. that actually probably followed me until I was about, for, actually I'd say probably about 10 years. And, and to be honest with you, the, the trauma, I didn't realise how much it had affected me until a couple of years later because I'm quite stubborn. So yeah. I, needed, I needed to essentially have what, what was somewhat of a panic attack in the middle of the woods to realize that actually I have an issue with being in the darkness at night. I have certain um, triggering situations, I would say, that, that aren't as triggering now because I've yeah. worked through them in different ways. But at the time, I don't think that talking was the the only solution to what was experienced yeah yeah mm. it must be so confusing to be you know so young and then all these sort of things happen and then I mean yeah you, know, you may say you're talking to people but it's hard because you're talking to someone that maybe I don't know um an older adult that we have that is like a parent figure or um a school teacher and sometimes they're just not relatable to us at that age yeah i think I you're right know. because i think for me i i think it's clear what, what we do know about mental health is is there are genetic and environmental factors involved in certain disorders so i knew genetically there was a little bit of inconsistency in my family history. I knew environmentally in, within my childhood, I was brought up to be very perfectionistic, which doesn't help. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't help with uh, yeah. depression, for example. Um, so yeah. I felt that talking therapy actually made me get more emotional the more I talk about it. And what works for me individually is as I found in time was actually group therapy was, was most effective for me in understanding that I wasn't the only person who was dealing with something and it added some perspective to my life, Absolutely. to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that with the whole group therapy thing. You just, it's just instantly like when you, you're walking into that room and you don't even have to say anything, but you just know, like you say, you're, you're a, uh, amongst like-minded people you know that there's going to be no judgment or um and you're all kind mm -hmm. of in it together I suppose no it's that it's absolutely spot on I mean everyone I mean the the rhetoric that they would use in the U.S. where I was undergoing some of the group therapy was 
and that we were all on the road to recovery and recovery is subjective and recovery is is independent it it's for everyone a, a different unique experience um so i felt that for me it's it's a daily process and it it was quite humbling to hear about other people's experiences because when you're young and you get diagnosed with something like that and you have traumatic experiences, people often would come up to me, even when I was actually 22 and I was receiving an IV treatment for lupus because I'd come out of remission or inactivity as they call it. And I was having to get eight hour IVs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have, <laughs> I'd have these people kind of come up to me, usually elderly and they would say, you know, oh, you're too young to be in here. You're too young to be going through this. And of course, that didn't help. Um, and I no. think that that's, that's an issue actually for a lot of young people, regardless of their perhaps medical or psychological diagnosis, is that the last thing they want to hear is someone saying, oh, you've been so unlucky. Oh, you know, that's not yeah. what you want to hear. Oh, you shouldn't be going through this. It's like you know what we should and shouldn't experience isn't up to us you know yeah but it happens yeah. so there is a lot of a lot of that phrase phraseology or, or whatever the right term is where you're experiencing something and people and you know they're trying to mean well by their comments just doesn't work that whole kind of mental health man up or yeah it'll be all right mm. tomorrow don't worry about it or there's someone over there who's worse off than you or all those kind of phrases oh mm-hmm. that shouldn't happen it, yeah. it just, does it because you're like oh, no 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 you're not validating yeah. my feelings here exactly and it it's it's really hard to know exactly the right thing to say to someone and i think that that's where we see so many issues with how mental health is addressed in in the uk where the NHS is trying to do better. They have this increased access program that they have where they're trying to make it more accessible for everyone. But at the same time, there's such a gap between the information that people are fed who are that first point of contact and then the information people receive in training to become psychologists. And so, I mean, Stuart was telling me about an experience he had and, and I've had friends have it too, where they call up or they talk to their GP, they say they're struggling and they get put on medication that doesn't work for four to six weeks, like most antidepressants. And they're not actually, yeah. their, their issues aren't actually addressed and they really just need someone to listen in that moment. Mm. Yeah, I've had a similar experience. I remember I used to work in the city and when I, I was struggling to sleep mm. and I, you know, Mental health was never really spoke about. This is mm-hmm. a good 20 odd years ago. Yeah. And I went to the GP and said, Look, I can't sleep. I've got this long commute to work and back. And he said, Oh, yeah, you're depressed. <laughs> said, Sorry. He said, Yeah, you're depressed. It's your body's way of telling you. And I'm like, Yeah. Oh, oh, what? He said, You just subscribed me antidepressants. I didn't take them at the time, but there could have been some sort of intermediate thing to say, These are the reasons why. Yeah. There could have been in some engagement. I was just told I was depressed and gave given antidepressants, yeah. which I didn't take and didn't help because yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah. I've come because I can't sleep. I've walked away going. And it's it's concerning because actually there are so many psychological disorders as I'm learning that if you have insomnia, you know, if you have any sleep challenges or sleep deprivation issues they can range from anything and now they've gone the opposite direction from that doctor where they're trying to normalize 
general experiences and create kind of this this perception of mental health as being on a continuum so everyone to some degree experiences Mm. whether they like to hear it or not a form of psychosis everyone experiences perhaps maybe the odd thought relating to suicide perhaps everyone experiences some form of of hallucination visual any kind and it doesn't mean you have a disorder but our brains aren't perfect you know there's historically everyone thinks that our brains are perfect yeah. and this is why i think people have to hear from professionals and i'm i'm not one of them but i i will say it that the neuroscience field has so much to learn and the answers to all of these questions aren't uh-huh. yet accessible even to the people researching them so you know that's the difficulty isn't it with learning and and the, by the time you've done the study and understood it yeah. time and environment's moved on and, uh-huh. and, and yeah. the social and sociological elements of society change so quickly now that by the time you've done your study learned it spread it out everyone's learned yeah. it the world's different and that, mm. and that learning's out of date but I do, I do agree with the mm-hmm. it being on a continuum, just similar to physical health, because you can be unhealthy and incredibly healthy within your lifetime and move between yeah. the lot. Mm. You can have a physical disability just the way as you can have a mental disability, and you may have that for life. You may have it because of a circumstance or situation that occurred to you. Yeah. You may develop it over time, just as you develop a physical illness over time i think the the one in the same in terms of a continuum is how i rationalize it in my brain anyway uh-huh, yeah where you can just have a physical mm-hmm. problem for a couple of days and i think you can have a mental problem just for a couple of days from a, a, a yeah, health definitely problem. and i i think that we see um in the uk we see like an attempt to to moderate diagnoses like don't jump to conclusions so quickly now Versus where I, when I was in the US and I had had some experiences as an intern um, during my degree where actually, you know, there was this, there was somehow this person, I would never forget this. Oh, I don't, I don't know how much detail I should give, but it was a 14 year old girl and they had given her five diagnoses to cover everything because there was an overlap of symptoms. And I'm thinking, hang on now, you can't give her an antidepressant, an antipsychotic, uh, because everything interacts, you know, and and when you're going to go down this route of trying to make mental health, the approach to dealing with mental health so pharmacological, like medication is the answer, you're denouncing the individual. So now we're seeing a huge movement in the UK of survivors of, um, mental health and mental health experiences and people who we deem service users, people who formerly like been through psychotherapy and have not been happy about it. There's more of an effort to incorporate them in research and involve them as it should be because they're ex- yeah. experts by experience, which makes their experience valid. I mean, arguably everyone's experience is valid, but you know, that's, that's a positive direction yeah, to go yeah, in is, mean, yeah. is saying, okay, you weren't happy about this label you were given. You weren't ha- happy about your experience with a psychiatrist or psychologist. What did you not like about it and how can it change? You know. Do you think we're making progress in the UK from an education point of view? So 
I know you're in the field of study of psychology. I know it's a, a massive umbrella. But do you think is, is mental health becoming more prevalent in studies and learning and teaching? I have to say from my observation, yes. I think it's humongous because when I was presenting all of my issues, I was given a diagnosis immediately in the US, whereas here it was held off of um, for a while because they weren't they weren't sure, they didn't want to say. Yeah. And and I think that this is such an issue within mental health because we actually uh, although there are a lot of disorders that that have to do with the brain and dysfunction, we can't definitively pin them down yet so we have really just a diagnostic human-made manual that tells us what and it gets updated regularly but to put it into context the 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 manual that we use for diagnoses in the 60s had homosexuality as a psychiatric disorder and fast forward to now the most recent method that was supposed to have all these advances actually doesn't obviously homosexuality is not a psychological disorder in it thankfully because i'd be screwed (laughs) i know it's just did you watch that um netflix show ratchet god i love that such a good show yeah and that was the same wasn't it they they had yeah and it was just Mm -hmm. like and boiling them in the baths so they didn't you know stop them from being gay it was just like or just or giving them yeah yeah, on what planet and giving it's really messed up and things like that and even to the kids and it was just like (laughs) but you've seen the uh, is it nspcc did these oh, uh, nobody yeah, that was great. normal and were all yeah, different. Yeah. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was, it was brilliant. so lovely. But I think more of that to understand that actually we don't all have to think in the same way. We don't all have to be like this. We don't have to like the same sex. We don't have to like different sex. You know, that whole kind of mixed pot rather than this confined norm that this is what you have to be like, that's almost created mm-hmm. by somebody yeah i think you're right i think um i think what kind of hit me about all of that was especially the nspcc thing was is that that's exactly what we need we need it on a grassroots level and this is something where i mean i'm i'm only in the process of working my master's but i'm sure there are some people who are qualified with an msc or a phd or a or a you know, clinical doctorate that can go into schools because I really think that this starts young and it starts at home and it, and it needs to be mm-hmm. kind of a nationwide campaign effort to actually normalise mental health experiences and really educate. And, and I know not everyone is ready to change their mind on that. But I think that children really yeah. need to hear that you, you shouldn't bully another child just because they think differently because I think that there is a cause and effect with especially bullying yeah. as a child. We all say things we didn't mean as a child. I can look back and think, my poor mother, what did she go through with me? But <laughs> but this is the playground <laughs> is where a lot of stigma is built and a, and a lot of things are internalized. And I would love to go into a school That's and sit so down true. with kids and be like, let's chat a little bit, shall we? <laughs> but it's it's something that doesn't feel like there's a bridge there to actually cross and, and have this discussion. And maybe that's something you guys could do as well, because I think mm. growing from this podcast, there are so many so many ways to help on a grassroots level and then build up nationwide. 
I agree. I think at a grassroots level, it's paramount. But what I will say is there is some progress. Our youngest is eight, and is in his school, there is no labelling. So if I take you back to when I was at school many moons ago, everyone had a label to do with either their physical appearance or their lifestyle or whatever it was. So, for example, um, I've got a foreign background and I had lots of uh, comments about being foreign. Um, there was a gay guy at school, so he was Gay Dave, or there was Ginger P, so forth and so on. So I haven't got a label. And at the time, that was just how it was. Wrong, very wrong, but how it was. And when I speak to Jake, those labels seem to have disappeared, which is brilliant, but still a long way to go. I mean, I dealt with some issues in school, but a, a lot of my issues came when I went to a university in the US for my bachelor's. And I, I found myself in the South as a, <laughs> as a young, confused, but lesbian woman. And, and <laughs> you know, I, I, sometimes I, yeah. I think that, you know, I, I knew certain people I'd avoid being around. I knew certain people I wouldn't go to. I wouldn't go yeah. near these locations. Um, I There were compulsory church um, ceremonies I had to go to. It was very programmed to suit a portion of the population that actually yeah. is not in any way representative of the rest of it. And it, it's, yeah. That's really scary. I think, like, those things that you said, you just think, oh, my God, yeah, this wasn't the even US long ago. behind, because like... they still do um, gay conversion therapy in certain states because they allow state choice and discretion. So they aren't exactly, they appear on paper to be progressive, but from a psychological and a uh, societal standpoint, there are parts of it you wouldn't go to. And, I mean, this is why I loved California so much, because... I got to work yeah. in the heart of the the LGBTQ plus community and I got to meet all these people and it was a safe space. Yeah. And, and that's extremely empowering. It's just a matter of making places safe. I think it's just, just when you stop for a little bit and think about it, you know, in 2020, mm -hmm. these are still conversations <laughs> that we're having. It's just, it's just laughable. It's just like, it's like yeah. why are we having this conversation? It's just well, yeah. so weird. Yeah, I think so kids weird. need to know that. I don't know. And I think that, like you said, like your son, I think that there's, there's a lot of progress. But at the same time, there are still those kids who hear things at home. And I think that there are. Totally. Because he's mm -hmm. growing up, Jake, in his environment with his peer group, where it's all normal. As in he, everyone's yeah. got differences, and that's okay. Because it, it's kind of being taught to some degree that it's okay to be different in that. And then he watches TV, and he watches, and he listens to other adults out there, and the world of YouTube, that's the bit yeah. where I think their, their heads get turned. And they're listening to a generation that probably isn't educated, hasn't grown up, understanding mm. it's okay and that you look differently you think differently you are different and then you're almost getting educated outside of the school part which is yeah, the bit and, that's the problem in some ways yeah oh it's okay you can go he, ahead no no i was just gonna go more into what sal said but he's just in sort of like a little 
a bubble almost. Like you go to a small little village school. We listen to that Steph McGovern's uh, program on, is it ITV? Uh, four. Pack Lunch. Is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, Steph's Pack Lunch on four. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a, a, a lady on there and she said she, she, she was a dwarf. But she said, that doesn't make me the same. Yes. The design does. Yeah. So it's the lack of being involved at the design phase. But isn't that similar? You can take that yeah, how theory well the design, and yeah, put the it into context with yeah. society yeah. So, and sociological uh, environments. If you're not involved in the design, then you're left on the outside. So, if, And that's what makes yeah, it labelled, yeah. yeah. So from a mental health point of view, if you're not included in any design, then you're always going to not have the support or the recognition or the normalisation you need because you're not part and of that's, that inclusive And that's exactly why mm. I think yeah. that we still have social movements ongoing and you think, my God, it's 2020. Do, do, we, do people really need to get to the streets and tell us that their life matters? Because that, sh that should be known. It's de facto their life matters. Yeah. They, you know, and this is when we look at minority groups and and people having issues with with language and terminology, and it's a lack of education. And when we talk about dwarfism too, I mean, there are a group of survivors that I'm aware of who like to use, who like to say, actually, we found happiness. I think it's a group of people who are who are deaf. They specifically like to say, this is how yeah. I was meant to be. This is, this is how I'm happy being. This is my life. And I think I live a, a very enriched life as I am. So we're seeing a turn from the, the dynamic of, oh, this person didn't come out the way I think they should or what we've decided is normal um, to actually what if normal yeah. didn't exist Absolutely. all along. And that's kind of what we need to be breaking down and tearing down this normal, especially in, in the UK, where I think, to be perfectly honest, a lot of our historical norms have been created by people in positions of power with a lot of money and it benefited them making them um and that makes me sound very conspiracy right now but <laughs> it's uh no no <laughs> you know, i think no, we have to ask it, why these true. laws are here i mean i have to i had to ask in south carolina why for example if why certain there is a, a law that still exists that on certain days of the of the month you can still hit your wife like it's it's a state law and i can't believe it's still in effect and unchallenged and it's it's you know you look wow. at 2020 and you think of course people are dumping statues of course people are getting angry because these are things that we've accepted but we haven't actually physically changed so <laughs> Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a need to, mm. and I love the phrase, the design, to change the design. Mm. And if we change the design and make it inclusive, uh, then you break down those barriers and people don't feel the need to either impose mm -hmm. a label or give someone a label. But we were talking, we referred this to loads of things Oof. recently, like the elections and uh, governments and everything like that that's gone on. These are really old um policies where the world has changed so much but it's still this old hat system 
um, in America and UK, which is still in place. And it's a bit like, why has no one thought of updating any of these things? It's just like, <laughs> I mean, what was the last time that was updated? What women got the vote? Yeah, no, not what's a whole changed lot. since then? Nothing. It's a bit like, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely for it. I think for me, society moves so quickly now mm. that the, some of the governing structures of it are ancient and, and maybe need redesigning so that mm -hmm. we can live yeah. inclusively within it mm. without these things that restrict us because yeah. they're I not think set that up you've, for us. You've hit the nail on the head there yeah. because it, it starts with representation. It starts with people speaking out and then it starts with perhaps they get into positions of power and then it starts with young children and seeing, okay, this person's done that. I identify with them. I can do it too. And then it has this nice little knock-on effect through generations. And the challenge lies in, in how we can continue to move forward when things don't change on paper sometimes. If only us three were in charge, then we'd sort it all. I'd probably be feeding you I'm alcohol if you're an IV with my cocktails. So, so, <laughs> so Sal, Vanessa and Lucy for uh, our new party. Everyone's welcome. Oh, Which goodness. Called? <laughs> How exciting. But hopefully people can think differently and challenge the norms and challenge parties of what they represent and, mm. and look for inclusion. And, you know, without being a little cynical, some of the politics that I see use certain demographics for votes rather mm, than for that's, that's a really good one. policy. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and because it, you it's know, fashionable. We call it oh, yeah, um, yeah. within the LGBTQ plus community, for example, this happens a lot around Pride Month. A lot of companies suddenly have rainbows. Their logos have converted into a rainbow. And we call it rainbow washing because yeah. they've become suddenly you know queer inclusive um to use the term that is often used um and actually yeah. they're they're really not they're not donating a good portion of profit to charity they're not actively involved in certain groups like for example mm. um queer beer are a phenomenal um company and they actually get involved um on a grassroots level with several charities actively and oh i'm sorry i said queer beer they're proud beer they're the only queer beer <laughs> they actually get involved with everyone and it's it's powerful to see that but it's not powerful to see certain brands don the rainbow and actually do nothing i mean the bare minimum of what they should offer is especially if it's for example let's say Costa coffee suddenly went rainbow the bare minimum of what they should offer should be resources inside their building for people in a safe space where they address any homophobia that comes up in the in the establishment like that's the that's the bare minimum yeah and everyone that's the thing isn't it yeah this whole jumping on the bandwagon but then oh, i don't know brings awareness but then it's frustrating at the same time it's just i think you 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 want the larger brands to be yeah. behind the idea but you want them to understand what it is rather than do it for some sort of social yeah 
uh, tick box exercise. Yeah, so, you want them to actually well, say, oh, look, here's our VP. She identifies as, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you're like, wow, wonderful. This is great. This is this is nice to see that you have allowed this person to progress within your company and you haven't applied mm. these social norms that have limited them historically over time. <laughs> so, or even to, yeah. just to review your policies, be a reminder yeah. to review your policies to make sure you are inclusive, you are, mm. have got mm. the right checks and balances. And, and I know there's some debate, isn't there, around how far people are going with that that kind of inclusive nature uh, around uh, what what the opportunities mm. equal opportunities or is it equal opportunity of outcome there are lots of debate around that isn't there and, and mm. i think like you've just said putting a, a rainbow on front of your company logo once a year i'm not sure that really achieves yeah exactly what, what the whole purpose is yeah, find it on a personal level. Really frustrating. I think when I was nineteen, I was just happy to see a rainbow <laughs> because I was lost and confused. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's some people yeah. who can relate, but I'm scared, you know. And for me, I found, yeah, I found my step within my comfort um, within my sexuality probably when I moved to California and I started working in the heart of the community and I was around all these people and they shared their stories with me because it wasn't about me. Um, it was about a collective struggle and, and a struggle yeah. that historically has, you know, it's not been equal across all the, all the letters in the, you know, the acronym, um, you know, pe people who identify as trans sometimes get left behind and more work has to be done in understanding them and respecting their individual journey because it, that's what it all boils down to and that's why I think social movements stall is because when you lump everyone in an acronym you can't really understand independently unless you've got a lot of time and you've got a lot of friends why their journeys are valid what they've experienced and how it shaped them and what needs to change? It's there's so much, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But you'll get to a point where you'll build awareness of whatever it is. Yeah. Black Lives Matter, mental health, mm. whatever it may be that you're building yeah. awareness to. Everyone's aware of it now. So yeah. what? what's the next phase? Yeah. And it's that design. Okay, these are the things that are in society that hold me back or stop me from achieving something. Restrict my opportunity restrict my ability to grow and learn and develop, restrict, restrict, restrict barrier. Mm. It's once we're all aware, what's the policy or what's the next phase to actually break down the barriers that are stopping us all just being Lucy, Vanessa, Sal, whoever, <laughs> rather than a label. I got bullied at school. Uh, parents of children say, F off back to your own country, that type of racism. But when you challenge someone... You often heard, well, I'm not racist. I know a black man. My friend's black. Or I'm not homophobic. My friend's gay. Like this gave you immunity. Like, I, And this is, this is something that I can't figure out the, the key to unlock is how to get people to be reminded of the power of, and this is going to be so cheesy. If you have Disney music, please cue it. Um, no. <laughs> The power of like unconditional <laughs> love, like 
like, I, and I really, really learned that mostly around drag queens and people struggling with their, their gender identity and these people and understanding what they've suffered, understanding what they've been through. And on a race level too, understanding that people are set at a disadvantage because of a culture and a society that we've mm. constructed. And as we mentioned earlier, because it serves the purpose perhaps of some other people, we have to undo what's been done mm. by acknowledging that there's an experience there that we maybe haven't had, but it, it, it is of value. And but that person is of equal worth. And I don't know how to translate that into schools. <laughs> that, that's the... Oh, did, did you watch Pose? Oh, my God! I, I love Maybe Pose. they should all watch Pose as part of the curriculum. Oh, I don't know. I feel like we've been watching the same <laughs> Why did it shows. end? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh. Well, my sister said, oh, you've got to watch it. And I just, I must have been watching mm. watch the, the first two series in sort of a week. And I was like, I finished it. And she was like, what, already? I was like, yeah, you just can't stop. And for me... You know, I am white, I'm British, I'm straight. But for me, it taught me so much. And then I have to look at it on the other side and think, is that telling me the whole story? Um, mm. um, but I really enjoyed it and I felt that I got a lot from it. Um, then, I, you know, you do a little bit more research and you dig a little bit more. Oh, and yeah. I learned so much about, um, is it Marsha P. Johnson and things like that. And I, just, I never um, knew anything of um sort of that before um so I feel like it did open a lot of doors into sort of mm -hmm. just me a bit more understanding I guess or like our journey just to be a bit more understanding to learn as part of this podcast and big man beard to get that awareness and to be educated and it's another human being in front of you with feelings, ambitions, dreams, and it doesn't yeah, matter. That's a person. Yeah. They're, they're, who they are in terms of colour of their hair, sex, gender, anything. That's that's almost irrelevant to that. Mm. They're just another person with feelings who deserve to go to sleep at the end of the night feeling good about themselves and, and mm. feeling yeah, that's that's the same as spot the rest on, of us, to be honest. It's just, I don't know how we put this into a little vial and mass, mass produce it. <laughs> That's where we're trying to get to with this brand, that impossible or aspirational dream of, can you build something so powerful that it changes your emotion and lets you know that you are good enough? Just being you is enough, if that makes sense without killing dreams, of course. And this is, I think, a fear some people have in society is if they start going around and telling people they're good enough, then maybe they won't aspire for more. But what they don't realize is that they're not encouraging laziness by saying you're enough, you don't need to be more than this. They're actually just validating on a basic human rights level <laughs> their worth. And um, I mean, for me as a perfectionist, yeah. I mean, back when I was competing with golf, for example, I, and that's what took me to the US, when I, when I took it to a professional level, I, I completely blew my first go at the LPGA. I completely wow. just, like, first two days of a four-day tournament that I played on that course two weeks before I crushed it. And then that, that week of that tournament, 
it just went to crap. And it was just the mental pressure that I had put on myself as a perfectionist. And I don't think some parents understand that when you tell your child that they have to be better, they have to be better, you know, you've got to strive for the best, you've got to be the best, that that is as damaging mm. as, as oh, I mean, as anything you can tell your child. Oh, yeah. Because once you become perfectionistic, it's really hard to undo that. And I think I would rather have a society that says we're doing enough, yeah. we're sufficient, than a society that says we constantly have to do more um, on a level of work and climbing the ranks of various, you know, working positions and athleticism or social work, you know. Golf? Sorry, I got into it when I got diagnosed with lupus. That's the short version. It's what made me feel safe and it made me feel normal when I didn't feel normal. So it, it's, it'll always have a yeah. special place in my heart, but an injury pretty much halted my yeah. career. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade that time, mm. you know. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think you're so right with, like, childhood pressures. I've got an older sister and she was just brilliant at everything everything that she turned her hand to she was just really good she was incredibly sporty excelled at that really arty she was really academic there was just kind of nothing I mean she did but she worked really really hard and um she won a scholarship to our school you know just all these kind of things but she was under so much pressure and she really felt mm. it and I'm not sure if a lot of the times she was actually happy where I was um, quite badly dyslexic and I really, really struggled at school. But on the flip side of that, I had no pressure. My parents didn't put any pressure on me. Um, I never felt like any pressure because I, I sort of walked into most things knowing that I would probably not do very well. So I was just like, whatever. But I was just really happy and I just bowled along my life just sort of bouncing from one thing to the other and just having a really good time and then my sister just instead of she got you know great offers at all these different universities but she just went to America and worked in some summer camps and then from that she moved to Italy um, and became a ski instructor and she just that's where she stayed mm. she just lived there and just did that because that's just what made her happy because oh. she had pressure yeah I think we've all got those else. kids that we went to school with that did sort of the go, yeah. was it Oxbridge or something like that where they're you know they're pipters the up-and-comers they're you know and I can tell you that at least three of the people I went yeah. to school with who were in that program had mental breakdowns of some kind and, um, you know, you just kind of look at it mm. and you think for a second, all of these concepts, even Oxford and Cambridge as an institutions are man-made. All of this is created by us. And I think mm. that that's what scares me to death about the idea of ever being a parent. I have a dog, like I'm happy with that. And he's quite high maintenance, to be honest. He's got a lot of feelings. <laughs> but you know yeah. I can imagine having a child because I think I would panic about every every word I said to them to be honest with you and the implications of it it's scary I think yeah. we've got three boys yeah so they're, they're a bit some moments are a bit like the craze with little gangsters in the day. They're, they're not naughty they're just scamps aren't they yeah so you have to sit them down. But 
<laughs> Younis, he owns the family, doesn't he? he? He calls family meetings. Oh, that's so lovely. Things aren't going his way and he needs to sit down and talk to us. He can just negotiate his way out of anything. Yeah. And I say, you know, and he'll just, we'll be, you know, having this conversation back and forth and you'll say, you're the parent, just say no. And I was like, I've tried. He's impossible. He's just twisting me into like, Walks the way no. with eight chocolate bars. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but we you know, did talk like... to him and we've started to talk about kind of mental health and, and yeah, just because of what we're doing. And he's the biggest, nosiest little boy. He, he, we hide him around a corner listening, so there is no privacy in the house. In no, terms of he has to be involved in everything. He has to be involved. Any involved. decision, yeah. If he was, yeah, he'd be trying to understand what's going on, where, where it is, how can I get involved? And at the end of the day, conversations, you're thinking, he is upstairs in his bedroom, he's never heard any of this. He comes up, do you know what you're talking about, Mummy, with mental health? I think you should do one, two, three. How did you eat? Where, have you got, like, is the house booked? Ah. But he comes up with just the the innocence of it all. He just comes up with the the greatest plans and ideas, and just because he puts everything in layman's terms as well, and it just I all. Think we said in the last one, he he's a the thing mm. with us. Why can't there be a chilled child talking to a child? Why does he have to be an adult? That's what you said earlier about relating to the person that you're having yeah. to open up to or talk to. There's some logic in that a child yeah. speaking to a child, and he spoke about. Them bouncing back. Yeah. How do you teach, to, you know, tell them how you bounce back from your mental health problems as a mm. child? Mm. And I thought that was quite nice to, mm. to, to hear. Yeah, that's, that's the that key. That's kind of thought process. Yeah. And he's aware. Well. Yeah. Yeah. He's aware of what's going on and what the problems are mm -hmm. and why things are the way they are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa. It's been a real privilege having you on. Thank you so much. Uh, you've got such an elegant way of speaking. You really do. You can tell you're so passionate and so knowledgeable with what you know. I, I study, I go to work, I come home, I study, and that's, you know, mine and my, me and my partner, we both are kind of wired similarly in terms of how much effort we want to put in the things that we want to get better at. And... Um, sometimes it takes me longer to learn things but at the same time I think that if you've experienced it yourself and then you come into the field it, it it makes you a little bit more aware of how to talk to people who are going through it I used to think you couldn't work in the psychology field if you've had knee issues because they don't want you you're tainted blah 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 and this is kind of how I talked to myself at that time um which is obviously unhealthy but <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think that this is this is a topic that we really need more, or at least more exposure of your podcast and more grassroots movements of, of people who've experienced it and aren't necessarily trying to get into the field professionally. You know, not everyone has to talk about mental health who's a professional, and and people mm. who've experienced it have that expertise of experience that not everyone can understand and some psychiatrists would be baffled by but that's what makes it so powerful to create the conversation um so i have to commend you for having this podcast and and chatting yeah. about it candidly for those people who don't have access to to group therapy or friendship groups that can talk about this yeah 
Oh, thank you. Well, it's, it's, it's only down to people like you that, that we can do it and make it sort of <laughs> more relevant than Sal and I talking about oh. what we had to see last night. So, <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing that with us. And it's been really, really insightful. And, uh, yeah. And hopefully... Uh, Loved it. You'll come back on again and we can have a explore more about uh, mental health and various topics. We know you're an ambassador, as you mentioned earlier, for Hibs Lupus Trust. Can you tell us more? They've actually just launched a Christmas fundraiser, um, trying to hit hit a thousand pounds this Christmas. And I, I think we could crush oh, it. I'm going to probably do a 5k or a 10k, depending on how brave I feel. <laughs> but I'm trying to kind of put the feelers out with some um, gin distilleries. And, and it's something Amazing. I'd love to do with a mental health organization too, is figure out a way that I can use mixology and teaching people how to make cocktails as well. That other side of me, the creative side to kind of help fundraise, especially a year that has impacted so many charities like this um, and their, their big money events. I mean, so um yeah they've mm, got a lot going yeah. on so it's just staying yeah. tuned on their instagram twitter and, and facebook and their website is very informative for anyone who may be going through a diagnosis right now brilliant Super. we'll put their details then uh some of their links in the podcast mm. uh yeah. description so people can find it website and we'll put a link on it on the website as well yeah oh, the thank community you page well. so people can find yeah. and support what a great course yeah Again, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the Big Man Beard podcast today. It's been so fun to just to talk to you both. You're easy to talk to, so I feel like you might be able to pull all kinds of information out of me. (laughs) Thank you ever so much. And tune in for more episodes of the podcast coming up, being released every Friday. That's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Peace out. Bye.